Let's look at John chapter 10, verse 10, if you would. And I want to look at why Jesus came. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in what's going on in Christmas that we forget why Jesus came. And if you ask people, well, why did Jesus come? And he thought to die on a cross. Well, that's like a corner of the napkin. But that's not the meaning, the full meaning of why Jesus came. Just one verse, John 10, 10. Everybody knows where John is, right? It's in the Bible. Everybody find it? Yes. <laughs> and it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Stop right there. We can stop a moment right there. Ponder that. Lord, I pray that you'll direct us and lead us. Give us your word, your truth, and have it apply to our hearts today and let us be open to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In all of the fun, all the bustle, all the, all the tinsel and decorations and family and family fights and all that that goes on during Christmas, we sometimes forget that we live in a world where there is a real, genuine, honest-to-goodness adversary that is out trying to cause trouble. And it sounds like to me this morning, even talking to people here at church, that he raised reared his head up here. You know, the enemy is a real person, he, and he is he can't. He, and he's here to do just a couple things: to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what the enemy does. That's what Satan does. His task is to do those things to take away. And so we ask, why did Jesus come? This is why Jesus came: because we needed him to come. Because of this enemy of our soul that is attacking us. Because this genuine, true, and honest enemy, this vile uh, destroyer of people, is wandering the earth as prince of power of the air, and he is trying to destroy people, that's why Jesus had to come. But the rest of that verse very clearly says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. That they might have life. Now, Jesus came, first of all, to give us life. That we as people are not lost. You know there's a big thing going on right now. You, you've seen it on the news over this Duck Dynasty thing. And it's kind of humorous as you see people arguing both sides of the issue. But see, this is what's interesting about this to me, is they take a couple of things that... Phil said, and they focus on that. See, that's how sin so often works. Yeah. Uh, he said a lot of different things in his statement, but they only focus on a couple of things. They talk about his position on homosexuality. But they didn't mention all the rest of the things that he said. And he quoted, actually he kind of paraphrased from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, verse 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulter, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. He listed all those things. Funny thing about sin, though. This thing is... I see why my wife is irritated about, at this. I'm definitely going to have to duct tape it. Funny thing about sin is we get really bothered by somebody else's sin, but not so much our own. I'm thinking if you took the people from Glad 
and I don't know if that gay lesbian uh, association of American deviants. I don't know what that is. Uh, I have no idea what, what that is exactly. But they have their own group, you know. And, and idolaters, they don't have their group. You know, if you speak against idolaters, you don't have a group that gets together and tries to destroy you. Or adulterers, or you can go down the list. But you could, I would venture to say you could get together with one of these people, these homosexuals, and you could sit down and talk to them and say, hey, there's some evil in the world, and they would agree with you. There's awful people that do awful things in the world, and they would say, yeah, you're right. And, and like a murderer, that's a terrible thing. And they would oh, yeah, a murderer is an awful thing. And a rapist, oh, rapists are awful. And a thief, oh, I can't stand a thief. Or a homosexual, oh, wait a minute, now you're judging. See, we do that with sin. And we do the same thing if we're not careful. You and I would do the same thing. Because we all deal with sin. Funny thing about that list of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're all members. Amen? Anyone out there not a member of that group? Every one of us, we focus on one, and the media focused on one because that's kind of a hot subject right now, but we are all members of that list, and we tend to do the same thing. You know, oh yeah, I don't like a murderer, I don't like a rapist, I, I can't stand that. You know, what about people that, that, that cuss like a sailor? Now, wait a minute now, now you're just judging. Don't, don't be touching that one. We all have ours. We all have ours. If you look at another way of reading that verse, it says, do you, do you not know that the unrighteous the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived or misled. Neither the impure, the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, swindlers, and thieves, nor greedy graspers, nor drunkards, nor foul-mouthed revilers and slanderers, nor extortioners and robbers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. We, we are all in that group. We're there. We are our members. We're, we're charter members of that group. We were, we have, we've all got our place in that, in that life. This is why Jesus came. Right? This is why Jesus came. Because we are members of that group. Every one of us. So what does he go on and say in verse 11? But such were some of you. But ye have been washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified. Where? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. We were members of that group, but we are no longer. If you're born again and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, guess what? You're no longer a member of that group. He said, so that's what you were, but you are no longer. That's why Jesus came. Praise the Lord. Because if Jesus had not come, we would still be members of that list somewhere. Even though we would be saying, I'm not in there. <laughs> uh, not me, not me, I'm not there, he's not talking about me. So we have to say that Jesus Christ came because if he didn't come, you and I would burn an eternity in hell. That's how it works. And see, any sin, we like to focus on a few that are prevalent today. Now let me tell you something, anything in that list or anywhere else in scripture, anything in the law that you violate has the same result. Yeah. Well, I only, you know, I only 
gossip a little bit. Well, guess what? Gossip. You will stand before the same judgment seat of Christ. The same Jesus will be sitting on that judgment seat. You will be judged out of the same law. And if you're not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you will go to the same hell. Amen. As a homosexual. Oh, but that sin is so much worse. No, it isn't. Anybody want to buy a microphone? <laughs> 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 so not only did he come so that we didn't have that inevitability of going to hell, he also goes on to say, not only am I giving you life, but I want you to have it more abundantly. See, he can stop right there. I saved you, now you just hang out until you die. And then you'll go to heaven. But that's not what he did. He said, I not only saved you, gave you life, but now I want to give you a life that is more abundant. Hallelujah. Praise God. We don't have to just eat by. We don't have to just make it, just barely survive each day. God, I can't stand another one. God, I can't do it. Jesus actually quoted from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, and he said it was delivered unto him a book of the prophet Isaiah. And, he, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it unto, uh, again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Oh, yeah. Isaiah was talking about Jesus Christ who came, why? To proclaim liberty to the captives. To preach good tidings unto the meek. Let me tell you something about the gospel. That's good tidings. You can't preach the gospel to the arrogant. They don't need the gospel. Just ask them. You and I are going to have a power. You can't preach good tidings unto somebody who doesn't need the gospel. We have a world today that does not need the gospel. If you want to have fun, Look at any of the news stories about this Duck Dynasty thing and start reading the comments below. <laughs> Quite interesting what you will read about how silly the Bible is. It was just written by a bunch of men. There's nothing in there. You know, it's ridiculous. And, this is, and they go on and on arguing about how God is not relevant. That's called arrogance. If you can stand before anything in this world, if you can stand at the Ion Bridge and just look around at what God created and say there is no God, you are an arrogant person. Yeah. <laughs> if you can look at what is all around us, if you can look at situations in your life that don't make sense, but somehow they came around to your benefit, you have to realize there is an almighty God. Yeah. Why did, what, what was it, a, uh, an alien that, that spoke to my wife? You know, was it some kind of a, a spirit being out there that does, you know, was it, was it a EFP or a psychic a, a message that told my wife to stop and check that door at work? I'll tell you what it was, it was the Holy Spirit of God saying, check the door. Amen. 
If you can look at what God does and still say there is no God, there is an arrogance. That's why he says, he, he preached good tidings unto the meek. What does that word meek mean? It means the broken. It means the poor. It means those that are without. We say, well, I can have everything in the world, and, and so I'm not broken. I'm not down. Somebody just the other day won, what was it, $660 million? Anybody here win that? If, that, if you did, please say thanks. Kidding. <laughs> $660 million. Actually, I think two people wondered about our call from the news. I don't know. That's over a half a billion dollars. <laughs> That's staggering to me. Now, I will assure you that the person that won that is thinking, I've got it now. I have got it made. I am going to have the happiest life on earth. I'm going to have the cars I want. I'm going to have this big house to live in. I'm going to travel the world, and it's all going to be wonderful. And it's all, I'm just going to enjoy life from here on out. I can tell you right now, on the basis of God's Word and a whole lot of experience in this world, they will not be happy unless they know the Lord Jesus Christ. You, I can live people upon people upon people upon people who have gotten wealth, gotten rich, gotten it all, and now they're miserable. Getting it all does not make you happy. We have people that are lined up on X Factor and, and American Idol and, and this show and that show, and I've mentioned that before, and they're out there for one purpose. They want to make it. They want to make it. They're so sick of waiting tables. They're so sick of working on cars. They're so sick of this. They're sick of that. They're tired of being a cop and having to work with tyrannical sergeants. All that stuff. <laughs> they're tired of it. Just let me break through and get somewhere. And then they get it in their hand and they're miserable and they snort it up their nose in a white powder or whatever the case is and they destroy themselves. They're not happy because they haven't met the one who gives joy. Amen. The one who has the ability to give you joy. Joy doesn't come by what you have. You can be happy in the most humble, miserable conditions in the world and you can be miserable when you have everything at your disposal. Amen. It's not in what you have or what you don't have. It is on who you know, not what you have. Amen. So he preaches good tidings. He binds up. He bandages the brokenhearted. You can have a full bank account and still be brokenhearted. Amen. You can have a full bank account and still be in bondage. We are talking, the Busby kids and I were talking about Whitney Houston yesterday. And you look at this beautiful woman with an unbelievable amount of talent. In her younger years, I remember her being on a show where she was a preacher's wife or something, and she was beautiful, raised in a Christian home. But it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. Because even though she played in a show about God, she had never met God. There are people coming to church, and they read books about God, they run to the bookstore and they and they get a pile of books and they watch some TV show where some preacher is selling a book and they buy the book about the Bible. Well, put the book down about the Bible and pick up the Bible. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Put the stuff down that tells about Jesus and actually meet Jesus. That's where the problem is. We don't need to read about Jesus. We need to know Jesus. Yeah. That's why Jesus came. It's because of this. 
And he goes on to say that he's going to give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Folks, there's a heaviness in the world today. We see it in our, our line of work, a heaviness. People are killing themselves in record numbers. Just, just being straight about it. They're killing themselves in record numbers. Uh, we see these kind of calls all the time. And this heaviness, we talk about it, and they go to psychiatrists and psychologists and psychotherapists and this and this and that and the other thing. Let me tell you something what it is. It's spiritual. The spiritual battle that is raging. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Back to that enemy of your soul that is out to kill, steal, and to destroy. He brings that heaviness. And, and some people can relate to that. Your alarm goes off in the morning and you and you and you hear it and you and you know that the children need something to eat before they go to school and you love your kids but you just don't seem to have the energy to get out of bed to see them. And you, you love your job but you just don't have it's just not there. You just lay there and stare at the ceiling and say, what's the point? What's the use? It's heavy. You know, depression is, it, it's, it's mushrooming today. And that's what that is talking about when it's talking about a spirit of heaviness. It's a spirit where you just feel like there's no use. There's no point. Give, I can't do it. I, I'm done. I'm finished. And I remember in my younger years, my dad would go to work, he would come home, and he'd lay on the bed until it was time to go to work again. And he dealt with that depression, and it brings the whole house down. And it's a spiritual thing. Amen. Because that enemy of your soul is seeking to kill, to steal, and to destroy. One of the most powerful things he can do to you is give you the, the, the take from you the will to live. Amen. The will to care. He can take it away. It's a spiritual battle, but Jesus said, I'm going to clothe them. I'm going to surround them. I'm going to put on them a cloak of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's something powerful right there. There is something powerful in that. One thing that praise does is get your mind off of you. If you want to be depressed, just think about you. It will do it to you. Oh man, I I'm driving a 1996 and I really want a 2013. And my house has got holes in the floor and my roof is leaking and oh my goodness, the kids are acting up and I just don't know what to do. Put it away and think about the King of Glory. You keep thinking about all that you don't have. You keep thinking about all that you can't do. You will be a miserable person. Amen. That's where depression comes from. And it becomes a cycle. You know, it's a cycle. You think about how miserable you are, so you become more miserable. So you think about how miserable you are, so you become even more miserable. And it becomes a cycle. But Jesus says, I have come to clothe you in the garment of praise. Stop a minute. Put it away. Don't care about what the, the, the mind's going to do or your, your car is going to do or the problems at home. And focus on the King of Glory, the one who paid the price for your soul, who shed his blood. Focus on him a while, and all of a sudden that stuff goes away. Amen. And he's got to clothe you in that garment of praise, and it picks you up, and you come up past that, that spirit of heaviness, that weight that is upon you. Glory to God. So... 
We have to realize that Jesus came not only to give you life, not only to save you from going to hell for eternity, He came to give you joy here. And it's not in a program, it's not in a trick, it's not in paying a, a seed offering. If I pay $1,000, by golly, I'm getting $10,000 back. That's not the answer. Put your check away, please. Don't pay them. <laughs> Put it away because you're not going to get some seed offering. It is about knowing the King of Glory. I'm not saying not to support good ministry. I'm saying don't get caught up in frauds who are trying to get your money so, with the promise of you getting something. When you give, what is giving? Giving is saying, here, link your Done. Bam. Gone. I don't ever expect anything back. That's giving. That's right. If I'm expecting something back, that's not giving. Right. But see, we have been bought. We have been bought with a price. The enemy of our soul owned us. And one day, Jesus Christ walked into this big department store called Souls, I don't know. And he walked in and he said, I want her. I want her. I'm going to buy her. And the devil says, good luck with that. <laughs> you ain't getting her. I'm buying her. You don't have enough. A million dollars isn't enough. Ten million is not enough. A trillion dollars is not enough. And he said, that's fine then. I'll give you something you can't say no to. I'll give you my shed blood. Hallelujah. I will give you my precious blood. My pure, holy, righteous blood. Even the devil couldn't say no to that. There was no, he had no choice. And so he bought you, folks. He bought you. That's right. He laid the blood on the counter and said, that one's mine. Glory to God. Does not belong to you anymore, devil. Hallelujah. And then you come back and you say, God, what can I do to pay, repay you? He says, nothing. Right. Can I give you something? I got a little speck of dirt. That's about all I got. And he says, no, I don't even want your speck of dirt. You can't do it. Praise God, I'm free. That's what freedom is. Hallelujah. That's free. When you, when the, whom the Son says free is free indeed, I'm free. I am not bound anymore. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, did I mention that I own you now? <clears throat> your life is no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. I, you belong to me. Right. See, people throw at us and say, well, well, you know, you can talk about all that stuff in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but I see Christians doing that stuff. Yeah, you're right. They do. They do. Christians sin just like non-Christians do. Hopefully a lot less, but they do. But the difference is, when a Christian does it, they're already owned. They're, they're blood, blood bought. They are covered by the blood of the Lamb. God doesn't justify their sin. He threw it away. Amen. He justified them, not their sin. He said, that sin's already paid for. I laid it out. It's done. I paid for it. That sin is covered. Right. The difference is the unsaved is not covered. So yeah, we do fall into sin. So what happened that blessed day? What really happened that day? Luke chapter 2, verse 7 says that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now I want you to think about something. I had never thought about this until I was studying for this message. 
I was thinking about what was going on in that town. We're in Bethlehem, five and a half miles away from Jerusalem. Jesus is about to be born, and God sends angels to appear to some lowly shepherds on a hill. You know who was in town? Priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, and a whole lot of people that considered themselves to be godly. They were right there in Bethlehem. Five and a half miles away stood the temple of God. The temple of Jehovah. Five and a half miles away resided the high priest. None of them. And again in Jerusalem, a town full of people that considered themselves to be religious. In the United States of America, you can walk around and 80% of people will say they are religious. Well, they'll say they're Christians. Like David Wilkerson said, anybody nowadays walks by a church, they say they're Christian. And that's pretty much the way they look at it. I walked by one last week, so I'm a Christian. So you had all these people, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, high priests, and a whole lot of religious people, and none of them were at that place of Jesus' birth. Just some lowly shepherds on a hill out tending their sheep. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this. I've thought about this before. You're laying out there and you're tending sheep. I, we were in Colorado and you get up there in the mountains and you would find, I guess, an American equivalent of this. And it's usually uh, Mexican guys tending sheep up there. And I'm thinking, well, that's got to be lonely because it's just like two of them and they're way up in a mountain and they're just tending sheep. And you're out there laid out under the stars one night and an angel shows up. Now, that would scare me. That would do something to me. And so he, they tell him that Jesus is about to be born. The Messiah is coming and they're excited. And they leave all and they take off and they go to town because they said, we've got to see what they're talking about. We've got to get down there and get, a, get, get our eyes on this. We've got to have a part of this. They immediately went. And then we have the story of the Magi. Now I want you to think about the Magi. The Magi were not necessarily godly people. They were what we would call astrologers. Uh, they were soothsayers. Uh, some of them worshipped Jehovah. Most of them did not. But one thing they were doing was searching the sky. And when they saw the sign of the Son of Man coming to the earth, what did they do? They left everything. Now, we always see this nativity scene with Jesus and, and you know, donkeys and and all kinds of things, and the, and the shepherds and the wise men. Well, the wise men weren't there. The wise men had traveled for probably nearly two years to find the birthplace of Jesus. Two years. They traveled. Now, they left their home, they left everything, and they got in the caravan, and they traveled following a star because they wanted to come and find the one that was being born, the king of the Jews. We can't get people to come across town. Amen. Sometimes. And these guys left everything. And think about this. If it was modern American Christianity, people would go to the manger and you can almost picture them sit down there and the big smile on their face and they remember, you know, I was here. Remember my face. I was here. So later on, Jesus, you just remember, I was here first. I was here first. You throw your blessing at me. Andrew, you look really good with that in your mouth, by the way. And, <laughs> and they would throw out there, I was here. Look at me. Look what I did. God's going to bless me. But the 
shepherds and the wise men did not come looking for anything. They came looking for him. They came with nothing but the idea of worshiping Jesus on their mind. The wise men had given up everything to come there to see Jesus, and they brought gifts. They didn't go looking for gifts. They brought gifts. Try to wind this down. I'm just having too much fun. <laughs> they came to give, not to receive. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He is everything to you. Or he is nothing to you. Right. We in America think we can play a middle ground. You know, we, we think we... And, and I guess people have always done that. You can go flirt back to, to, to Moses on the mountain while he's getting the, 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 the tablets, when he's getting the law of God. What are the people doing? They're down below dancing and carrying on. And they're getting ready for a feast uh, to the Lord in just a couple of days. You know... People have always wanted to play that middle ground. I'm a Christian, but the world, yeah, I've got to have a little bit of that too. But how much does Jesus really mean to you? How quickly will you go when he calls? How far will you travel when he tells you to go? How much will you give up? And how much, and what will you bring with you? There is nothing that you can bring except everything. He doesn't want your gifts. He doesn't want your... your and, and let me say this carefully. You're not going to pray God happy in you. Yeah. You're not going to fact God happy in you. All those things you, know, you should do. You, you, you can't read enough scripture for God to say, boy, that person sure impresses me. They wrote four, they've read 47 chapters today. I, ooh, man, I'm so happy with them. <laughs> he doesn't care how much Bible you read today. And I say that carefully because you should be reading your word. That's not what I'm saying. But it, it's not, you're not impressing God by praying a certain amount of time. You're not impressing God by reading so much scripture. That's for your benefit. Amen. That is for you. What impresses God is when you lay your life down for him. When you say, it's no more me. It's no more me. We have... A horrible phenomenon taking place in America today where our younger generation of Christians are falling away. Parents, grandparents were raised in church. Kids don't have any use for it. They, these children were forced to go to church when they were little. Now they don't care anything about it. It's a phenomenon that is sweeping the country and it's pathetically sad. It's terribly sad that we're losing our kids. But you know, the call is to us as parents and grandparents to do something. Our kids will not accidentally worship Jesus. Like the old saying says, if you don't teach your children to serve Jesus, the world will teach them not to. And, and I use the Busby's as an example. Twelve children that love the Lord. Twelve of them. I'll guarantee you they didn't lay in bed at night and say, boy, I sure hope my kids serve God one day. I will assure you that they spoke of the Lord. They walked in the Lord. They modeled Christianity. They showed it every day to those children because otherwise your children won't know. They will not serve a God you don't serve. That's right. Your parenting is the most important thing. Well, I give them food. They have food to eat. They have clothes to wear. And I'm prepared for their college. And I've done all that stuff. Well, good for you. You've just taken care of them that, you know, 70, 80, 90 years. But what about the 10 billion past that? 
if you have not instilled Christian values into your children, if you have not taught them to love Jesus Christ with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind, you have not given them what they ultimately need to survive for 10 billion years from now. Right. Well, preacher, we did all that and our kids still turned away. That's called free will. That's an unfortunate thing. But I'll tell you what, if you serve God with all your heart, the chances are far greater that your kid, that your kids will than if you don't. I thank God I'm an exception to the rule because my family didn't serve God. Thank God I got saved. That doesn't always happen. Again, mentioning police work, you know, and I'm closing with, with this. Growing up in Colville, I remember the the drug addicted kids. I remember the troublemakers, the ones that were always in trouble, always going to jail. He'd be one of them. And now, having come from Kettle Falls, working as a police officer in Kettle Falls, it's amazing to me that the people I was arresting had the same life things <laughs> as those that I was hanging out with as a teenager. Had the same life things. Because if you raise children to not know God, they will not know God. Amen. If you raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, it will never leave them. They may walk away from it, but every day of their life they will remember that Jesus Christ is real. And my parents tried to tell me the truth of Jesus. And when the world falls out and they have no place to go, they're going to remember the light that was, was given to them as a child. They will remember that time of mom was need. They will remember that time of spending with dad as he explained the gospel to them. They will remember so providing with your children eternally is far more important than providing for your children temporally. Amen. Can you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The reason Jesus came is because we needed him to come. We were bound for an eternity in hell, and we were bound for a miserable life here. Unsure, unsettled, in heaviness, in fear. But Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. I want you to have that. I want you to know you have that. I want you to know Jesus Christ with your whole heart. Everything about you sold out to Jesus, not just a little bit. It's Christmas. Well, again, family, I'm going to church because it's Christmas. Well, how about the week after Christmas? Do your children see Jesus Christ in you every day? Do your grandchildren see Jesus Christ in you every single day? Or just on Sunday? Or just twice a year on Easter and Christmas? Let's pray. Father, I hold up to you this congregation today, Lord, and I've done everything that I can do, and I pray, God, that you will use it to speak to me, Lord, to remind me of why you came, to remind me of what I need to do better, what I need to do to walk closer to you. Father, I pray that the message will touch hearts and lives today. For you are the Redeemer. Lord, there is no other way. And you paid it all to give us life. And you have given me the, the means to defeat the adversary, the one who kills and steals and destroys. The power of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb defeats that enemy in our life so that we have life more abundantly. Praise God. I thank you for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.